Australia correspondent is Karen Middleton. Uh, incoming uh, political correspondent for The Guardian, of course. Good morning to you. Morning, Catherine. I am confused about, I am confused about exactly where you're actually in your career, but forgive me. Welcome. We always appreciate your time. <laughs> Thank you. It's my last week at the Saturday paper. A couple of weeks off, start at The Guardian mid-March. Good, thank, thank you. you good very much, good yeah. to acknowledge your current employer. Thank you for that. Now, uh, goodness, <laughs> this, uh, this case, it's one of those cases that seems to have everybody... Um, focused on it, and indeed in this country and certainly in yours, uh, and today a development in uh, a missing Sydney couple, and it's, as expected, not good news, Karen. No, I'm afraid not, Catherine. This is the case of the missing couple, Luke Davies and Jesse Baird, and they've been missing for about a week, and uh, last night we had the very sad news from New South Wales police that they had found the bodies of two men that they believed to be this couple. Now, this story, as you say, has really captured everyone's attention for the past week, partly, I think, because uh, Jessie Baird was a television presenter on uh, the Channel 10 network here in Australia. Uh, Luke Davies was his boyfriend who was a flight attendant and the third person involved in this who is alleged to have murdered the couple is... Uh, a guy by the name uh, of Bo Lamar Condon. Now, he's a police constable with New South Wales Police, and that's the extra element that, of course, has people um, very curious. He is alleged to have murdered them with a police-issue handgun uh, at at uh, the home of Jesse Baird in Paddington in inner Sydney, which is a very sort of uh, nice suburb in the, in the middle of Sydney, uh, about a week ago, on, on um, well, Monday a week ago, and uh, the bodies were found in surf bags in uh, on a property, a rural property, south of Sydney, between Sydney and Canberra, actually, just uh, yes, late yesterday afternoon. So the families, we're told, have now been to that site to see where those bodies were found. But it, it does appear to be a, a domestic violence-related offence, and uh, police now have Bo Lamar Condon in custody. But um, it, it really, people have been particularly, I guess, distressed because this is a, a, a couple, a young um, gay couple from Sydney and we are about to have the annual Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras in Sydney this coming weekend. So it's opened up a whole um, other issue about whether the police should actually march in the Mardi Gras. Now, this was not seeing it is not being described as a, a gay hate crime. Indeed, it's a it, it involves a, a young man in in Bolamar Condon, who alleged allegedly had an on and off relationship with Jesse Baird, and uh, it was it appears to have been involved around that and him having moved on, pardon <clears throat> me, to have a new partner. But uh, the board overseeing the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras has suggested to New South Wales Police that they should not march this year because of the level of distress. And there's also distress in the gay community uh, about the historical nature of um, gay hate crime and the fact that there were inquiries and recommendations and some of those recommendations, many of them have not been implemented. So there's ongoing talks, but it does seem the New South Wales Police are unlikely to march for the first time in 20 years. And historically there has been a a difficult but uh, improved relationship between that community and police. And as a result, the Australian Federal Police that was going to march with the New South Wales Police have, have opted voluntarily not to march. So it's become 
you know, a, a, an issue of high emotion, understandably, right on the eve of, of Mardi Gras. All right. Now, the gender pay gap, some figures published yesterday, I think. Uh, any progress? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand, Catherine, um, some progress, but uh, this, this publication of uh, the... Um, gender pay gap in companies with 100 or more employees is designed to bring some light to that issue and maybe uh, encourage those not doing so well to improve. And it looks at both how many women are employed in these, you know, the percentage of women employed in these uh, organisations and what kinds of jobs they hold and also the, the salary differential. Um, and <clears throat> the, the overall gender pay gap was found to be about 21.7% between what men and what women are paid, uh, which equates to, I think, for every dollar a man is paid, on average a woman is paid 78 cents. So this is the first time these figures have been um, published here in Australia and it does record you know, some interesting and surprising figures. Some of the worst, well, those with the worst figures were the airlines and the big resorts companies and also some companies involved in selling women's activewear. So they were selling primarily to female customers but uh, not doing so well in terms of promoting women or paying them uh, at a higher rate. There were other companies that have really achieved some great things, one or two of those, I think, in, in resources have done quite well in, in other areas as well. But we still see the bulk of um, in, 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 in areas like administration and clerical work and in the caring industries, the bulk of those uh, employees are female and those are traditionally sort of lower-paying jobs. So there is a bit of a way to go, yes. And often some of those high-paying jobs, you'll find them in executive suites, for example, uh, or on boards, for example. And again, that's where there can be quite a large uh, gender disparity. I know in this country anyway, there's quite a concentrated effort to try and close that gap, especially our publicly listed companies, who I think actually have to account for it now. Uh, But to your other point, it's just some um, roles that women are predominant in are literally undervalued. All right. Um, That's right, yeah. Scott Morrison, will he ever leave the building? Has he? Has he finally <laughs> <laughs> leaving the building tomorrow? Actually, right. <laughs> but but he said his goodbyes yesterday. So we have finally had uh, Scott Morrison tender his resignation formally, and will be uh, leaving politics. And we expect this to be his final parliamentary sitting week. So he gave his valedictory speech in Parliament yesterday. You know, it's. I don't know if it's the same um, where you are, Catherine, but traditionally here, sometimes those valedictories are some of the finest speeches people have ever given. I think the sort of some of the uh, politics is stripped away and they're a bit more honest. Um, They obviously focus very much on their families and their values, and so they're always interesting. And this was very interesting speech. His family were there. His wife, Jenny, his daughters, Abby and Lily, were watching, and he thanked them very much. He was quite emotional about them. And also others he'd worked with, including a couple of um, his security detail who were in a terrible car accident when they were protecting him and escorting him around Tasmania during the election campaign in 2022 um, and were very badly injured. So he became quite emotional talking about them. Uh, there were some lighter moments as well. Um, he, I mean, he did he did offer the new government uh, some serious advice on matters of international relations and, and security. I should add, um, warning about China and and the uh, some other countries he said were a concern. But on the lighter side, he said his daughters had challenged him to play Taylor Swift bingo in his speech and to name check in the course of his remarks 
the names of or the titles of all of Taylor Swift's albums, which he then proceeded to do and added a few uh, song titles as well. So that did raise a laugh or two. It was quite, it was quite clever and quite he's, funny. He's but, kept his daddy um, dead he, uh, rep up, has he? he, he Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but he also um, made a very public expression of his Christian faith, which he has done before, but this was perhaps the most overt that we've heard. He is, of course, uh, a Pentecostal Christian and he's written a book uh, about his faith in the context of being a prime minister. It's called Plans for Your Good, a Prime Ministerial Testimony of God's Faithfulness. He's about to set off on a US book tour and then we'll take up some work primarily in the United States uh, as a con- consultant, including in in defence. So he claims the AUKUS submarine deal is one of his greatest achievements and also the management of the pandemic. And Prime Minister Anthony Albanese uh, gave also a generous speech in response and noted how difficult it must have been to manage that pandemic and that he never doubted the, the, that the government preceding for all the politics that goes on had the best intentions. So uh, it was an interesting day of reflection. Peter Dutton, um, who, of course, uh, Mor- Scott Morrison beat in the leadership challenge to um, to become Prime Minister, and Peter Dutton is now the leader of the coalition in opposition, also gave a generous speech about his contribution, a a warm and um, warm congratulations and farewell. So it was an interesting one. Now it's a big dry, and there are serious fire warnings coming out at the moment. Yep, it's a it, you know it's very late in the season. We do hear warnings about this, Catherine, that this might occur, but. Um, the state of Victoria, Melbourne and beyond are suffering an incredible heat wave this week. And today, Melbourne is due to get to 37 degrees and even hotter in regional Victoria. And there's a catastrophic fire warning for the Wimmera area and the Mallee. Uh, a lot of farmland out there and people are very concerned. They're, they're, they're being warned to evacuate. Uh, if they're concerned about the area they're in, to evacuate before midday today. Uh, and there's a great deal of concern and worry about what fire may occur there. So, you know, we've we've had these warnings so many times before. We were warned at the beginning of this summer that we could see a very strong swing back to El Nino. As it turned out, that didn't happen and we had a super wet summer, but we were warned towards the end of summer that that could still mean a fire danger because of all the growth and this appears to be what is transpiring. So we just cross everything for the folks in those areas today and just hope that it is not the catastrophe that they're being warned about. Now, you mentioned Tate earlier. She's just been everywhere. Uh, she's on her way too now, though. It sounds like it's been a really ex- uh, successful uh, tour and a very popular one. Oh, incredible, Catherine, incredible. It's incredible how it's consumed all the public attention as well. But t- Taylor Swift uh, had concerts in Melbourne and Sydney, and, in fact, the Melbourne concerts were the largest she's ever played to, 96,000 people in the and Melbourne Cricket Ground there uh, over multiple nights, I think three nights, and then she did three shows in Sydney as well. And we've had we've been treated to you know pictures of every everywhere she goes, everything she does, everything she eats, everyone she sees. Bit of a set to between her father on the last night uh, and a camera, uh, a paparazzo photographer who allegedly was punched by Taylor Swift's father. So that ended on a slightly sour note, but she's she's off to Singapore and the fans won't hear a bad word about her and uh, she really has been quite a juggernaut here. Very good. Thank you as always. That is uh, Karen Middleton, uh, who is a pol- chief political correspondent for the Saturday paper, soon to take up a new role with uh, The Guardian, our Australian correspondent.